0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, along with my co-host, Bonnie Quinn.
1: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news.
0: Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and on Bloomberg.com. Well, as we saw this morning, the U.S. labor market... Lost jobs in December for the first time in eight months. Let's get a closer look on kind of the labor market overall uh, in the United States. We welcome Martin uh, Musi, president and CEO of Paychex. They're based in Rochester, uh, New York. Martin, thanks so much for joining us here. I know you guys have been doing a lot of work on small businesses, and, and, and we know that they've just been really, really challenged during this pandemic. What can you tell us?
2: Well, we saw again this month in December. You know, we did see a drop uh, in the small business index that Paychex puts out every month. That pretty much mirrored the jobs report that you saw this morning. While the jobs were down 140,000 on the jobs report, you did see that leisure and hospitality. We're down almost 500,000, so not unexpected with the closures and the restrictions that you're seeing in restaurants and bars and so forth across the country. I guess the positive news would be that jobs in temp staffing, for example, were up. Uh, And and so you're seeing that these small and mid-sized businesses in particular are bringing some people in or keeping them at a part-time level or temporary staffing to kind of see how things go as the vaccine rolls out.
1: Marty, from the data that you received, phone calls perhaps that you take and and make, what are you hearing about how concerned people are in terms of getting back into a workforce, into a new job with the risk of coronavirus out there?
2: Well, yeah, there is is concern. I think the vaccine, you know, the speed of how fast we can get it out, uh, that is going to slow the recovery a bit. Uh, until things start moving along, which I hope they will very shortly. I think you'll also see that you can see how important the new stimulus package was that was approved and maybe more to come, uh, because small businesses, mid-sized businesses, really needed that help. And this stimulus was very focused on small businesses. You know, you can apply, basically, uh, ask for a loan of up to $150,000, which can mean a lot to a small business, without even giving any data at all. And the forgiveness is going to be that, basically, you attest to a 25% drop in your revenue over a quarter, a past quarter. So it really is making it much more Uh, much easier to get this PPP loan. We've gotten some guidance this week on that process. Loans, looks like loans will be starting to be processed on Monday, the 11th. So Mm -hmm. that's great news for small business in particular.
0: So Marty, you guys have paychecks. You're, you know, you have 680,000 clients. You pay one in 12 private sector employees across the United States. What has your experience been as we presumably get towards mid-year and the vaccinations really, really ramp up and perhaps the economy begins to open up? How many of those shuttered businesses that we see as we walk along Main Street, USA, that are closed, that were once vibrant businesses, how do you think they're going to come back?
2: Well, our experience has been that uh, actually quite a few have been able to hold on. They may have suspended their service. Uh, but they've continued to be uh to to keep their business alive, meaning that they're going to open back up or change you know many in the first uh, wave were able to for restaurants, for example, the hardest hit were able to go to uh pick up only for food, adjust their workforce, and so forth uh and I think you know small businesses mid sized businesses in the u s are very resilient and uh they have found also a new ways to do things you know about half of our clients kept the same number of employees through December, and another quarter of them added employees, actually, and a quarter reduced employees. So Mm. we've also seen small and mid-sized businesses be pretty nimble and pivot in finding opportunities in the pandemic to maybe adjust their businesses and do things a little bit different.
1: Of course, we know that, you know, really the majority of small businesses actually fail. It's a very, very, very tough environment, even in the best of times, to get a small business up and running with the amount of capital involved and keep it up and running in a successful way. Do you have any data on, you know, how many sort of newer small businesses will be created or how many will will go down the drain?
2: Well, one of the things that's been very interesting to watch is that year to date, uh, through the year now, actually, uh, new business starts are up well over 20%. So, Hmm. you know, new businesses have found ways to find an opportunity in the pandemic to fulfill a need that that a, a customer has. And so they've been able to start a lot of new businesses, particularly California, Florida, Georgia. And construction uh, things around construction have been continue to be very strong. Uh, we've seen construction job uh, growth up uh, for the last seven months consecutively, and uh, and now you're starting to see a little bit of wage. Uh, go up as well as minimum wages have gone into effect here January 1st. So there is some positive light there. You know, some businesses, you're right, you know, this was too long of a time to go and particularly too much time between the two stimulus packages, unfortunately. But this latest stimulus package has shown a lot of interest and, and a lot of good, positive things to help them with cash flow over the next few months.
0: Marty, talk to us about the regionality of kind of maybe what you're seeing in terms of the the jobs market, the labor market, the business, small businesses. Um, This third wave seems to be kind of a national wave, if you will. Are you seeing any regional uh, differences?
2: Sure. The South has continued to be the strongest region for job index in the small businesses in particular, and that has been led by construction, both residential and commercial as well. Uh, You know, Sales of new single-family homes across the country are up Uh, over 20% uh, through November. So it's uh, November over November. So it's amazing that, you know, while low interest rates have really helped people, uh, you know, build new homes that has helped construction and jobs, but the South has been the strongest. Florida, Texas, Georgia, they have been the strongest states. The West has probably taken the biggest hit uh, with hospitality, leisure and hospitality jobs there being the biggest drop. And the Northeast has been down at the beginning and is kind of holding right now. So South has definitely been the strongest from a region standpoint.
1: Marty, thank you so much for joining us and the best of luck in Rochester. They're keeping safe from the coronavirus and uh, putting people to work. Much appreciate you joining us today. Marty Musi is president and CEO of Paychex, which pays you know one in four people employed by small business around the country.
0: It is time for Bloomberg Opinion. Today we're joined by Ramesh Panubru, senior editor National Review, also a Bloomberg Opinion columnist based in Washington, D.C. Ramesh, perfect timing to chat with you. We've had a couple of days to digest what we witnessed in the nation's capital. Would love to get your 30,000 foot view of what occurred.
3: Well, uh, I think that um, Senate uh, Majority Leader uh, until now, uh, Mitch McConnell, had it right when he called it a failed insurrection, right? I mean, it was a, a, in some ways, ridiculous uh, attempt at an insurrection, but in another way, deadly serious. I mean, in that way, it was like the Beer Hall Putsch in 1923. Um, this was an attempt to disrupt the lawful proceedings of the United States to keep there from being a peaceful transfer of presidential power. Uh, and uh, it failed, but it was shocking that it was attempted. And that it was attempted is a real stain on the Republican office holders, most especially President Trump, who have done so many irresponsible things to encourage it.
1: Well, the president tweeting to his voters this morning again, calling them 75 million strong. Unclear if they are actually still 75 million strong. But I am curious, Ramesh, does this affect in any way his ability to be sort of an elder statesman type character for the GOP or even possibly another run?
3: Well, it's uh, it's closer to seventy-four million, but he's uh, who who voted for him, but he's never been really as a stickler for facts. That's actually closer to the truth than than a lot of the things he says. Look, he's never going to be uh, an elder statesman in the traditional way. Um, he can try to be a force in the Republican Party, um, but the kind of you know the becoming a respectable, um, normal figure called in when serious uh, and sober statesmanship is required. Um, you know, that's not going to happen. Future presidents are not going to use him as that kind of resource. Uh, And as for whether he can even be the kind of kingmaker or future candidate that he wants to be, I do think that the events this week have hurt that possibility. Um, But we have to, I think, wait and see some of the long-term repercussions in particular to see whether Republican voters respond to his disgraceful behavior and to his loss of power by moving on.
0: That's kind of where I wanted to go, Ramesh. What, in your opinion, is the future of the political party? I'm thinking about, you know, the George Will conservative view of the Republican Party. That seems to be a thing of the past. Is it the Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley? I just don't know what the future of the Republican Party is. What do you think?
3: Uh, Well, I think that it is up for grabs. Um, I don't think that it makes sense or is possible for the Republican Party to simply move back to its pre-Trump incarnation. I think one of the reasons Trump was able to become the leader of the party was that that previous party was too often out of touch with the economic interests of most Americans. Um, And so, you know when Trump talks about becoming a working class party, some of that is just marketing. Um, but I do think that there is something to the idea that the Republican Party needed to change and still needs to to change in some ways um, in, in its thinking and its approach to those issues. But I don't think that the party has a future um, sort of being tied to the worst aspects of President Trump's personality, which is what, to a very alarming extent, it has become.
1: You know, Punchbowl, the, the new media outlet in D.C., had a story today about minority leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy, and President Trump having a screaming match the other day. Who is in President Trump's corner within the White House, within the administration these days, Ramesh?
3: Well, it seems to be a shrinking group of people. Um, all accounts, both private and public, seem to be that uh, that he's kind of hunkered down and uh, you know, I mean, this is what happens when you have a leader who doesn't want to hear news that is unflattering or inconvenient to him. Um, you know, and and the fact is, he's got to leave. Uh, I mean, he's he's belatedly, you know, through you know, basically through gritted teeth, much much uh, too late, admitted as much. But uh, but he doesn't want to hear it, and uh, and so you know, he's he's just talking to the true believers.
0: Ramesh, 74 million people voted for President Trump the last election. What does the Democratic Party, President-elect Biden, what do they need to do to reach some or many of those 74 million people?
3: I think that some or many is the exact right way to think about this. And uh, and President-elect Biden has a, a shrewd understanding of this, that you make changes at the margin. Um, he was able to win by picking up a lot of the Republicans who had an independent, who had leaned Republican, who were alienated by Trump, but also by winning back some of the Democrats who'd gone over uh, to Trump and uh, and bringing them back home he has made a very crucial point of saying he wants to govern for all Americans. Now, it's important to follow through on that, of course, and that's the harder part. But frankly, even just saying it is an important step. And it's the kind of thing that has been almost entirely absent from President Trump's politics.
1: Ramesh, do you see any you know, young, charismatic people coming up through the ranks of the GOP that might, you know, try to unify the party in some way, try to find a middle ground between the factions? Well,
3: I think that's what a lot of Republicans think of themselves as doing in various ways. But who's going to actually be able to put the pieces together and in what configuration those pieces will go? That is, I think, completely up in the air we don't know um who's going to be successful in that it might take end up being a governor somebody who has not been so tied to the washington party during the trump years but somebody who's actually been been out doing other things and only occasionally commenting on trump um who has the best chance of success in that endeavor
1: and briefly remesh, should the yep. 25th amendment be invoked
3: Well, you know, I I think that at the very least, it is a good thing that we are spending these days, these last days of the Trump presidency, discussing impeachment removal and uh, the 25th Amendment, if only to help box this president in. Um, I don't know how realistic any of those options are. Uh, but look, it's always been my view that he's unfit for office, and yeah. uh, uh, and he's a dangerous man. And
1: as a result, Ramesh Panuru, Bloomberg Opinion contributor and senior editor at the National Review, thank you very much.
0: Well, I guess it took a insurrection at the U.S. nation's capital to push the pandemic off the front pages for a day or two, but it is still there. The U.S. suffered more than four thousand coronavirus deaths in a single day for the first time. Uh, It is just brutal out there. Let's get the latest on the virus and on vaccines. We do that every week. We are so fortunate to have Lauren Sauer join us. Lauren is the Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. On the phone, we should note that the Bloomberg School of Public Health is promoted by Michael R. Bloomberg, founder of Bloomberg LP and Bloomberg Philanthropies. Lauren, I'd love to talk to you first about the surge in cases. I'm trying to get a sense of how much is being driven by, you know, maybe just the fallout, if you will, from the holidays when people got together and, and perhaps didn't uh, do the social distancing thing as well as they should versus maybe this new strain, which appears to be more, uh, you know, more difficult?
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. I think there's a lot of eyes on trying to make that determination. I, I think it's probably both, to be perfectly honest. Um, I saw it uh, the other day on Meet the Press, Tony Fauci said, it's terrible, it's unfortunate, but it was predictable. And I think um, that's how we're all feeling. We, As we saw people get on airplanes, we saw people drive to friends and family that they didn't you know, normally interact with. And um, now we're seeing the impact of that holiday travel and that new holiday mixing uh, really play out across the country. We are starting to see the variant pop up in a lot of um, places across the country um, and across the globe, really. But I think... Um, you know that the spread of that variant is quelled by following those travel restrictions, following uh, physical distancing practices, following masking practices. In the same way that that the non-variant spread is is dampened, and so if people are traveling, then you're just going to have an even greater impact, whether it's by um, people infected with the strain with the variant or not.
1: The UK had its deadliest day yesterday as well as the United States. Lauren, how many weeks would people have to shelter in place for this thing to actually move back a little bit? Give us a chance to get people vaccinated.
4: Yeah, I think you're going to see lockdown similar to before, so at least four to six weeks to get spread under control. And that's really, um, that, that number is dependent on how well people adhere to um, the lockdowns, to the restrictions, and to the masking and distancing when they come out of it, right? So even when the lockdowns are released and restrictions are lightened, um, people have to be good stewards of those things that we know that Work really well, right? So, if the restrictions are released and then all of a sudden people go back to the behavior they were having right before and during the holidays, then we'll just be back in that place again until um, you know, until we get it under control again, and it'll just be a cycle. Lauren, one of
0: the um, issues, kind of cropping up here in the New York metro area is uh, a fairly significant percentage of those 1A, those phase 1A essential workers, healthcare workers, uh, people in the nursing homes are choosing not to get the vaccination. And now the question is, well, what do you do with those vaccines that aren't being administered? So that's kind of a bone of contention here in New York. What are you finding at the Johns Hopkins University, the medical center? Are people, uh, uh, is a meaningful percentage of the healthcare workers choosing not to get it?
4: I think we're seeing people get the vaccine here, um, thankfully, I, but we've done a lot of work to educate people, town halls, um, emails with information, frequently asked questions, fact sheets, um, a, a system that is accessible and easy for them to use within the context of their job to to just sign up to get it. So I, I think the problems stem from a lack of funding in communication strategies and, and building trust about the vaccine. You know, we've heard that a lot of people are concerned about the, the shortened timeline. And so we should have spent and should still continue to spend time and effort explaining how even though the timeline was accelerated, all of the steps were in there and um, to create a safe and effective vaccine. And, and that's what I think we need to be focused on. And then just making sure that people can actually access it, right? So having a system that is not a website that continues to crash or a paper-based system or a line, you know, a queuing-based system um, that that inhibits people from being able to really get in and get out in the shortest amount of time possible and go back to their jobs as frontline healthcare workers and essential workers, keeping this response afloat.
1: Lauren, how long before we know whether we'll have to get a vaccine every year?
4: I think we're going to start to see some of those data come out as people are being um, vaccinated with more regularity and the vaccine programs expand. Um, This second season or um, next round, you know, we're in sort of year one of the pandemic, but we're also in year one of a potentially cyclical or seasonal virus. Um, and so we're gonna learn a lot in the next 12 months about how this virus works and how immunity um, is both conferred and last in vaccinated populations, but also in people who had natural infections and some combination of the two.
1: All right, Lauren, continue the fantastic work and thank you for always making time for us. We. Get updated regularly by Lauren Sauer, Johns Hopkins University Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine. And of course, Johns Hopkins University is supported by Michael R. Bloomberg, who is obviously the owner and of this news network and the parent company Bloomberg LP. Joe well, Muni's editor for Bloomberg Briefs, joins us now. Joe, since the last time we spoke with you, we have a lot more clarity about what the next four years in Washington is going to be like. We've had the Georgia Senate runoffs, and they've both gone blue, those seats. How did the Muni market react?
5: Well, uh, with a great sense of relief, I think, because now you have uh, the very real possibility of more relief going to states and municipalities directly rather than the sort of indirect relief that's already contained in the package that uh, Congress passed earlier. Uh, and uh, just, uh, you know, uh, relief because there's more certainty about what's going to happen. And the next thing is going to be, I would imagine, according to my sources, very quick action on uh what some people would call tax reform.
0: That's where I want to go, Joe. Um, a topic that is near and dear to the hearts of our listeners in the tri-state area and selected other markets around the country, which is the Trump cap on state and local taxes.
5: Where do you, do you think that's going to be on the agenda? Oh, very much so. Thank you. Uh, you know, between, between salt and, uh, this thing called advance for fundings that municipalities do that was taken away by uh, by the uh, previous administration uh, on a tax-exempt basis. So those two things are going to be very much in the sights of uh, state and local lobbyists. But, yeah, that's SALT, uh, the, the SALT repeal. You know, the Democrats are in a kind of uh, – they're, they're torn two ways on this because they don't want to be seen as uh, – giving a tax break to the rich, uh, but at the same time, the SALT uh, uh, cap was really aimed at chiefly democratically run states. So uh, I, I would imagine that they're going to go for the uh, the uh, SALT cap and uh, get rid of that. I think that's what's going to happen there. So yeah, very, very big in uh in the municipal market, and uh, people are just getting prepared for, you know, what the next, next tax bill is going to, or not even bill, tax reconciliation, I guess they call it, which is how the previous tax reform was passed.
1: So give us some details, Joe, into which states did we see the most flows, out of which states did we see the most flows?
5: Well, let's see. Uh, I, I think I read uh, a, a report last week. I'm not talking about... Uh, 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 specifically tax related, but Texas was the big winner uh, in the last couple of years. I, I think, uh, you know, they are the state that has the most people going into it. And, of course, uh, you know, they don't have uh, the uh, uh, income tax in in Texas. Uh, so, of course, you know, that's um, uh, one of the, But that was one of the Trump, arguments, I guess, for uh, doing away with the assault uh, uh, deductions or, you know, lowering them. Uh, those are supposed to uh, sunset anyway. But yes, in response to your question, Texas was a big winner. Uh, many states down south, Florida, obviously. Uh, so we'll see if, if uh, this at all will help to reverse the flow. Probably not, but you never know.
0: So, Joe, expectations are that with the Biden administration and now you know, a, a very narrow uh, lead in Congress that perhaps income taxes will be going up. Does that mean people are going to be searching for tax-advantaged yields in the muni markets? So are you expecting a fund you flows bet. to really kick up?
5: Of course. Of course. Uh, they're, you know, ta- tax-exempt income, Uh, Municipal bonds, preservation of capital, tax exempt income, uh, you know, never goes out of style. And uh, with higher taxes, of course, there's going to be more demand. Uh, So, you know, that's it's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch in the uh, coming uh, few months.
1: So, Joe, talk to us about some of the indices and, you know, where you might be able to buy protection in terms of the market, given, you know, the amount of chaos that we've seen just this week alone and the fact that there's potential for more chaos in the next two weeks.
5: Wow. Uh- Well, you know, I I think you know we carried an interesting story earlier this week about uh, municipal bond insurance making a big comeback, and uh, I just wanted to say a word about that. That was a very interesting thing because, like you said, there's so much chaos in the market, and so many uh, uh, there was so much fear of of you know the economy cratering and causing more damage to states and municipalities, that, uh, you know, in, the, in 2020, there was a big increase to, uh, I think it was something like $34 billion in municipal bonds were insured. And people look out, uh, you know, on the horizon and think there's probably going to be more bonds insured because that uh, fear of default and uh, Economic uh, erosion for a lot of uh, states, and especially municipalities, is still there. So uh, people were saying, you know, insured bonds, there's probably going to be more of them in 2021.
0: Hey, Joe, thanks so much for joining us. We always appreciate chatting with you on because it means it's Fridays. When we talk to Joe Mysek, that means it's Fridays. That's a good thing. Joe Mysek, Muni's editor for Bloomberg Briefs, giving us the update uh, on the municipal bond market. And I'll tell you, Vani, that state and local tax issue is a big one for uh, the folks in the metro New York area, Los Angeles, San Francisco uh, that was really a big, big issue.
1: Absolutely, we're seeing more and more companies open <laughs> b- what they're calling bases in Florida. They're they're yeah. maintaining that they're staying in New York, but uh, I wonder, you know, where the books are actually totted up.
0: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see to what extent uh, uh, the Biden administration and the the Democrats uh, in Congress can perhaps roll back that salt cap.